0: Hey, what's going on? This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson here for the Eat to Perform podcast. And today we've got another Dr. Mike here. So we're trying to have the Dr. Mikes take over the podcast world. My good buddy, Dr. John Mike. And today we're going to talk about how to use eccentrics for strength, maybe fat loss, maybe some possible tendon healing and all sorts of other things. So if you want to introduce yourself there, Dr. Sure. John.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. And this is Dr. John Mike. I'm an assistant professor in exercise science at Lindenwood University. And uh, just outside, about 20 minutes west of um, downtown St. Louis. So here in uh, good old uh, Midwest. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. So um, I just started my new position this last fall. And I really like it a lot. It's a great program. We have really good students and I get to do a lot of travel a lot. Most of my background actually is with um strength and conditioning and I do a lot of um conferences and speaking gigs throughout the year, many articles, peer review, lay publications and um you know love to eat, love to lift, and like to have fun so.
0: yeah, sounds good and Your PhD research was all on the use of eccentrics, correct?
1: It was. It was actually the effects of uh, eccentric contraction duration on max strength, uh, power, um, you know, force production, um, soreness, and vertical jump performance, actually. So, um, and speaking of which, I'm in the uh, process of submitting back my comments um, to JSCR as we speak. So, that should be. Um, the final version, um, and peer review should be coming out, um, you know, before the end of the year, hopefully maybe by the end of the summer. Um, so, uh, definitely, uh, happy about that. Looking forward to seeing that out in peer review.
0: Yeah, that'll be definitely awesome to read. And maybe we can poke you coming up a little bit later for some info along that line. Sure. Um, but for people who are just tuning in, what exactly is an eccentric? So yeah. if people are not used to kind of the uber geeky speak that we mm-hmm. use, how would you explain that?
1: Well, typically, the, 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 probably the, the best and simplest definition is basically muscle elongation or uh, active lengthening of muscle fibers under load. And so people talk about concentric work as like positive work. And typically, you know, historically, um, based on the work of, um, you know, pioneers, exercise fizz pioneers, um, they actually kind of came up with the term um, like eccentric. So basically, it actually came from eccentric. Um, so indicating like away from and then centric, obviously towards the center. So moving kind of away from the center of the body. And, and, and if you really think about it from a practical application, that's that's usually what you do for most exercises. You actually move away from midline of the body. So that's probably the, the most simplest definition um, that you could say is just active lengthening the fibers um, under load. Um, or you know when people say I'm going to go do some heavy negatives today or, you know, um, heavy, you know, whatever it may be. You're typically talking about eccentric um, training, and there's different ways, which we'll get into, I'm sure, um, different ways to actually manipulate the eccentric component of exercise and to manipulate even eccentric durations, um, if you will.
0: Yeah, so what would be some examples, right? So I think of, like, when I explain it to my students of if I'm in the gym on Monday morning, right, because it's always dude bra curl day. Mm-hmm. And if I'm lifting the let's say barbell up from the bottom, that would be concentric. Right. As I lower it, that would be eccentric. Correct. Um, what would be some other examples of concentric but, uh, versus eccentric?
1: It's a good question. Most people think in most gym settings that the eccentric they just use like bench and bicep curls. <laughs> um, well,
0: what well There's no other exercises really, is there? For, I, I, don't, I guess not. <laughs> Especially on uh, Mondays,
1: right? It's just all—it's National Chest Day. That's
0: right. And, um, That's right. Dude. So you can do it.
1: Besides cyber bench and curls, you can actually do um, like glute ham raises. You can do Romanian deadlifts or RDLs. Um, you can actually focus on uh, eccentric components of like lat pull downs or certain back exercises. So um, someone's could,
0: doing an eccentric portion of a lat pull down. What would that kind of look like for people? Well, if you are if are you're, if, if actually coming
1: down, you are starting from the top and actually coming down towards your chest. And touch the bar with your chest when you kind of come back up towards the starting position, that would be indicative of the eccentric component. Okay. So you're actually slowing down the eccentric component before you start again into the concentric phase. Okay?
0: Gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, if someone's so, doing like a push up, what would be what portions of that? I just want people but, to have a good mental yeah, image so it makes so sense.
1: Push up is just the eccentric component of the push up is coming down towards the floor. Right?
0: Yeah. So just lowering your body. Yep. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha.
1: And it's it's a little
0: bit different for different exercises. You
1: know, like for example, I mean, if you're doing a um, like a dumbbell, you know, fly or something like that, I mean, you would actually be coming down towards the floor, you know, parallel or perpendicular to the floor. Like we said, push up is coming down towards the floor. Um, so it, it's usually in the downward downward motion. But like in a lat pulldown, as we just mentioned, it's kind of more in the upward motion. So it really depends on the type of exercise that you're doing.
0: Very cool. And how was, what's going on at sort of the, if we take a, a little bit of a trip into the muscle fiber itself, yeah. um, if you want to explain just what is kind of how the basic contraction works? And then, what is different about that type of contraction for concentric versus eccentric? And then we'll we'll get into why this stuff actually matters.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, typically when you talk about just basics of muscle contraction, you have you know your sarcomere, which is just the overall contractile unit of the muscle fiber, and within those you have your main contractile proteins, and we know them as like actin and, and, and myosin, and essentially they're responsible for um, producing. Um, you know, uh, muscle force, okay, and force generation capacity. Um, and one of the things that happens during normal muscle contraction is that um, the myosin and actin actually overlap with each other, um, and it creates what's called the cross bridge, okay, and cross bridge cycling. So basically, it helps produce um, contraction, muscle force, contraction generation within the muscle. Um, and usually, in most circumstances, um, if, if the load is heavy enough. Um, and even normal training circumstances, you can elicit a you know, um, certain degree of muscle damage. Um, and But with eccentrics, actually, one of the unique aspects about eccentric exercise is that when you have a normal muscle contraction and when those, when those myofilaments, as they're called, and when those cross bridges uh, lengthen, a lot of times, based on um, some science uh, from some uh, big eccentric uh, pioneers, if you will, the guys that are really um, heavily involved, they've actually talked about how during eccentrics, you actually get a reduced rate of cross-bridge detachment. So what that means is as you do a normal muscle contraction, the contractile unit actually contracts um, it shortens, and then it lengthens. Um, and typically with eccentrics, um, there's a reduced rate of detachment, so it means all the cross-bridges may not detach fully. And that's actually a good thing um, because if more... Can rem- actually remain attached, then you can improve muscle force capacity, um, and so it helps contribute to force generation during eccentric um, lengthening um, un- under load. Okay, uh, and so if we kind of take a step back and, and look at how eccentrics may be utilized, um, just in normal life, in a sense. So when you um, you know when you walk or when you run or, or whatever it may be. The energy absorbed um, from you know exercise um, from muscle contractions is either d- can be dissipated as heat. Um, so in this case, the muscles act as a shock absorber or a damper um, that can be um, used or t- energy for temporarily stored. It's so like during your like
0: quadriceps when you're running downhills,
1: exactly. So like during like an eccentric action, those shock absorbing components of the muscle contribute to energy. Um, to the forces produced, so and and you actually use a lot more eccentric activity than most people think, and and even in the normal gym settings, you do it more than you think, but you kind of do it unconsciously. You're not doing it on on purpose or you know or deliberately, but you know, any examples of eccentric activity come everywhere from downhill walking or running, um, particularly landing movements and landing mechanics, uh, alpine skiing um marathon running um jump shots in basketball sprinting drop jumps so all of those types of activities involve uh, a fairly large um eccentric component
0: nice yeah i think of the the sliding film in theory as sort of like a, a ratchet like effect Right. So you kind of have to, you only have this little bit of distance, this little muscle head fiber can move. And then it's got to basically er, detach and then kind of slide up and reattach and then kind of ratchet it sort of back down again. So it's this constant sort of ratchety kind of movement. And like what you were saying too about eccentric. So if you think about our, our, our dude bra, you know, lowering his barbell curl that some of those fibers are actually staying attached. Exactly. So they're actually in essence helping because the the body in terms of the load is trying to basically rip or pull these fibers apart. So the more they're kind of attached a little bit that kind of helps you resist that sort of lowering. Is that correct?
1: Absolutely, you got it correct, yeah.
0: And I think it was Caldiza was telling me and I think I think I read a study on this, but I'm not 100% sure that Mm. during eccentrics, one of the reasons that we're sore is that if you have a high enough eccentric load, that the actin and myosin, the kind of the heads, kind of literally just pop off each other. So they actually are destroying part Uh of the fiber. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Um, And it depends on the the what type of load and how heavy it is, And, and everybody is, um, you know, soreness is is a natural component to training. And, And one of the things about eccentric training, it's very similar to concentric, is that a certain degree of muscle damage is actually required to elicit and facilitate further increases in strength and hypertrophy. And most people forget about that, because typically, most people just focus on the concentric, you know, which is fine. But there comes a point in time that you have to Focus your efforts on the utilization of, uh, of the eccentric contraction. And you don't have to do it every single day or five days a week. You can do it, you know, twice a week and just pick maybe like, you know, a couple of exercises and do those for a short period of time, say, you know, two or three weeks just to kind of get uh, a different response. Um, and everyone is different in terms of how they actually respond, you know, to muscle damage. And we, and we know from previous science and you know, over the last, you know, a couple of decades that uh, muscle damage is usually, you know, kind of peaks 24 to 48 hours post-exercise. But, you know, depending on the severity of the soreness, I mean, it can last, you know, 72, maybe up to 96 hours. Um, but And some people are, are, are more sensitive to muscle damage than others as well. Um,
0: yeah, I remember several years ago, I was out, um, did a hike out uh, with some friends in Washington and you know just graduated college i hadn't done a lot of hiking or anything in minnesota It was pretty much winter time at when when i went out and so we hiked all the way up and it eh, probably took us maybe like eh, six seven hours or whatever mm-hmm. and going back down i think we came down in like an hour and a half or two hours or something it was dramatically less time and the next day i woke up and i was like oh little bit sore and then like two days later so about 48 hours later I was like oh my god (laughs) Mm -hmm. right because you you forget that that running downhill right your quads on the top front part of your leg are like we mentioned basically working as shock absorbers so part of what's happening is you're doing these massive eccentric loads right so you think of your body weight and you've got an impact force and you got gravity yanking you down the hill on top of that um, and the fact that I hadn't done that before, right? So my body's not really used to it. Um, so anyone who's done any sort of, you know, hiking is a really good example. Cause I'll talk to some people who do, you know, some pretty long hikes and they're like, "Yeah, you know, it took us like two or three days to get all the way out into the top and it wasn't too bad. And then we got down in like less than a day and they're thinking, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow and do legs. I'm like, um, <laughs> Probably not, if unless you're really used to that, and that's something you do a lot of time. So, yep. And mm-hmm. um, related to eccentrics too, and DOMS. So DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. Um, what actually causes DOMS? And the follow-up question is: just because you don't necessarily feel like you're sore, have you still done damage to the muscle itself? And how does yeah, soreness a- an indicator?
1: It's a good question. Um, essentially, if you had to put like a, a, a simple statement to it, um, you know, and it's, and it's so easy to, to talk in, 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 in complex language. But I think one of the best things to do, you know, and, and if you don't know it, you know, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't well, know it well enough, so to speak. Um, so essentially, DOMS is basically stress and strain on the overall contractile apparatus. So basically you're stressing and straining the the, the contractile units of, of the muscle that are responsible for um, force production generation. And so when you place more strain and stress on those from various types of activity, it could be high volume, high intensity, or maybe just unaccustomed exercise, or new exercises, or new type of training program, you always increase susceptibility to DOMS, okay? And, there, and there's different theories, um, that kind of cause DOMS. There's like connective tissue things, there's cellular mechanisms, um, all all of which essentially um, disturb, um, you know, everything from non-contractile components. So you're basically damaging connective tissue. um, You're damaging the inner workings um, of the muscle fiber um, and all of which actually, um, you know, have negative effects on force production, okay? So... And there's still really a lot to be learned. Um, you know, these, these theories are really good, and, and it actually tells us that uh, it, it's kind of exercise-induced. Uh, but it's certainly um, multifaceted, and there's not one particular thing that actually causes DOMS. Um, and, you know, one of the things that is related to both DOMS and then just training and then eccentric activity is a phenomenon called the repeat-about effect, or the RBE effect, And essentially, if you would like to engage in eccentric activity, um, say more than one exercise, or if you're going to do an entire workout that's more eccentrically emphasized, I'm saying three to five seconds on all exercises. So uh, three to
0: five seconds kind of in the lowering phase, correct? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, You know, what you can do is uh, kind of eccentrically stimulate the muscles about a week or more prior to you actually doing a a full body training session that's more eccentrically emphasized. And so what that's going to do is it's actually going to um, involve adaptation over that time. And so when you go do your actual eccentric bout or workout, um, then you'll essentially um, be less sore. Um, So it kind of uh, um, has subsequent effects uh, it kind of limits DOMS um, over the subsequent training sessions. And and if you think about it, when most people go um, do a new training session or a new exercise or something they haven't done in a really long time or they haven't done um, ever, they typically get really sore. Um, and then if you turn around the next week and do the exact same workout, well, you're not as sore. So over the course of that week, you've, you know, you've adapted and gained a lot of benefits neuromuscularly. Uh, which has allowed you to limit DOMS, um, and you can actually enhance the training process. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I've used that with uh, clients, actually. If I know they're going to do some new activity, say, for example, hiking or something like that, and they don't necessarily have a bunch of time to specifically prepare for that, which obviously is going to be much better, um, but I'll tell them, like, for hiking, right, if you can even maybe only have access to, oh, my gosh, a leg extension machine or hip sled or whatever – you know, try just doing some eccentric um, accentuated, right? So maybe if you're using a leg extension, you know, it takes you whatever time to get to the top and then take, like you said, three to five seconds to lower it. Um, There's probably better ways you could go about doing it. But if someone just only has access to a gym and they're not, you know, really good with a lot of compound exercises, it's probably better than nothing, right? I mean, at least you're Trying to get a little bit of eccentric stress that'll hopefully kind of carry over to the event they're doing themselves
1: mm-hmm. so absolutely yeah, the other
0: part I realized that too is uh, several years ago I went and did some uh sprint training in Arizona, and I luckily thought I'd far enough ahead of time to practice a little bit, not that I was going to get really good at sprinting on my own by trying to figure out my own cues and everything else, but at least knew enough that. I'm probably going to be pretty sore after the first few times I do it, since I hadn't really done it that much, especially at a higher speed. And oh wow, you forget all the little other muscles that work, uh, especially like your adductors. All right. (laughs) So the inner part of your leg that have to work to basically violently stabilize your leg. Um, Even just very short sprint sessions that I wasn't used to, I was my legs were pretty sore for a couple days, and you know I bypassed pretty good. I went to the training. Training went fine, but by the the second and third day, there were some people there who didn't do anything like that, hadn't done any sort of eccentrics, and most people do not do a lot of eccentric adductor work per se. Oh, man, they were were hurting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And you mentioned some theories about that too, but do we know exactly why that repeated bout effect is beneficial or what's going on? Because the thing to me that's always been amazing is You don't need many sessions, right? I believe you only need like one to two sessions to get a a pretty big sort of protection effect from it.
1: Yeah, you're right. Excuse me. And, um, yeah, you don't really need a whole lot of um, continuous sessions to actually elicit any type of RBE effect. Um, And and there's actually some benefits to the RBE effect. And, you know, and there's many. And we actually get a strengthening of connective tissue, um, you know, enhanced motor unit recruitment, um, you know, synchronization, which is actually simultaneous activation of, of those motor units, which actually help um, with overall force production. Um, and there's some science out there that talks about how, you know, during the initial adaptation, of course, you get, you know, less DOMS um, and you can likely even get increased range of motion um, mm. after the after the second eccentric session. Um, say compared to the first, um, and one of the things about the r b e effect I think you have to keep in mind is is really the magnitude of the response, so it means that it could last as short as twenty four hours uh you know to a few weeks or even up to like six months. Um, but most of the people who probably have a long lasting r b e effect, say like six months are likely the individuals that do the same type of workout, same type of training, you know, week after week and month after month. So they're not mm. really getting a lot of, um, you know, uh, variety or stimulus, um, you know, from different types of training or exercises. Um, but basically, um, it's, some people are sensitive on um, the level of sensitivity to eccentric training kind of constitutes the protective effect. So if you're more sensitive to eccentric exercise then you likely have a better protective effect, um, but, you know, kind of going, you know, deeper into your question, I mean, we, we know some of these, you know, mechanisms and stuff, but the precise ones actually have not been, um, conclusively determined. Um, so we know that there's different theories and connective tissue and cellular stuff going on in adaptation. Um, uh, but as to what's the direct, um, kind of link, if you will, to the repeat about effect and actually getting less sore, we're not really sure at this point. Oh,
0: well, very interesting. And, one sort of wacky thing I've done—I do all sorts of wacky experiments—is that so when I travel a lot or when I fly, I try to you know get up and move around as best I can. But for longer flights, that's you know can be kind of difficult. And one thing I've done for almost a couple of years now, and it's purely entirely anecdotal—I've never seen any research on this—is I'll try to make my hamstrings and even glutes a little bit sore mm-hmm. and. Maybe it's just how I feel because I'm sort of reminded that they're working, or who knows. Um, But my hips don't get nearly that stiff at all, like on a super long, like six, seven hour flight. Um, I have no idea why that is. (laughs) Um, But that's one thing I've done. And related to DOMs, too, for people who are listening to this, who are we have some trainers and coaches that listen to this because it's part of the ETP uh, certification. And one thing, if you have a female client, if you can make their abs and their glutes sore but not debilitate them, you still want them to walk and to function. Um, that was really good for them to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Another part too, I've realized is that you can use the reverse. That if you've got some clients that are just like, oh, just you know, beat the crap out of me. I don't care. And you're looking at them walk and their movement patterns. You're like, oh, geez, you, you need some uh, little movement quality there. Um, you can use concentric-only stuff like simple exercises. Like I've used a lot of battling ropes, uh, car pushes, um, sled drags, especially a sled drag in reverse. Yep. Oh, man, that stuff is just brutally hard. And the nice thing about it is that it's mostly concentric-type work. So, they won't be too massively sore because you don't want them to debilitate them. But it feels really hard. And it's pretty hard to screw up the form on that, too. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not doing it right and you're not at the right angles, nothing happens. Um, so, I just wondered if you have any thoughts on any of those.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, and I get these questions a lot with eccentric activity. And um, in terms of like coaching, especially if you're dealing with sports teams, is to actually limit eccentric activity during the in season play yeah. um, just so you can limit you know doms you can focus on more concentric and power and and, and you know bar speed or velocity um, and you can utilize more concentric activity um, so I would actually do that more in, in the in season kind of limit doms or excuse me limit eccentrics in in season um, and kind of put it more in, in the off season um, and you know and that's one of the that's one of the downsides about doing a lot of eccentric um, work whether you do it on purpose or not is, you know, you're more susceptible to DOMS and muscle damage and, and, and soreness. And, um, but at the same time, a certain degree of damage is actually required. So it's, it's, um, you know, kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't, in a sense, um, it's kind of a double edged sword. So, um, it, it's, uh, you kind of have to know when to, um, you know, program it, you know, strategically um, you know when to do it, and in terms of actual guidelines, um, there are absolute zero guidelines on how to use eccentrics um, in, in your training. And and I, most of my a lot of my talks throughout the year actually go through um, this process a little bit and actually try to help people incorporate eccentrics um, into their programming because there are so many other guidelines that we use with exercise and nutrition and. Clinical things, and um, I'm actually in the early stages of trying to create um, eccentric training guidelines that could be, uh, you know, eventually used um, across the board, or you know, in textbooks or you know, clinical practice type of thing.
0: Nice, yeah, I know that we'll we'll definitely get into that because I know my buddy uh, Coach at the University of Minnesota, have used what he calls a triphasic method. Right, So for people who are not familiar, in essence, all muscle contraction, like we were just talking about, has sort of a triphasic movement. So if you think of like a squat, you unrack the weight, you lower it, right? So you're lowering, you're actually doing the eccentric component first, and then there's a very small pause at the bottom, and then you do the concentric, so you come back up. So what he's done for quite a while now, and there's a book on it, and I'm helping him with the other book, is... Divide that into the three components. So you have an eccentric, you've got an isometric at the bottom or pause, and you've got your concentric. So he'll do things where he'll take about like a two week period, let's say on the back squat, and then have his athletes do very much an accentuated eccentric. So take maybe three to five or longer seconds to get all the way down to the bottom, pause for a second, come back up as fast as you can. So you're taking that period of time to emphasize eccentric. And you'll have like a two-week block, which is more just working on the pause at the bottom. So you may have a nice long pause, which we you know gets rid of a lot of momentum and any stored energy in the the fibers and connective tissue. And then just maybe a week or two weeks working on concentric. Um, what are your thoughts about that as a way to divide up maybe work of focusing only on eccentric for a portion of time?
1: I like it, and um, here at Linenwood, a lot of the coaches have actually used triphasic throughout the year in their programming. And, oh, uh, very cool. Yeah, yeah, And I um, actually met um, Cal at the um, NSA Coaches Conference yeah, in right. uh, January of 2015, so um, he and I got to talk you know, for, for, for a little bit about some things, and and um, he's actually going to be at uh, you know, Paleo FX, so we'll get to yeah, see each other again. we're
0: all on the same panel, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I
1: like triphasic a lot. Um, I think it's a really good program for athletes, um, and um, I, I, you know, I, I will certainly you know promote it. Um, but I like the idea because it breaks up, like you said, it breaks up the training in, in three different phases. Um, and normally, you do train in those three phases, but you're not really doing it kind of um, strategically as you as you would with with the triphasic. Um, you're not really doing concentric, isometric, or eccentric. For, you know, say two to three week phases, and then go back and actually do the the, the full movement, um, and and a full um, fluid kind of motion, if you will. So, um, yeah, I I think it's I think it's a definitely um, you know legit program that certainly has a lot of effectiveness. So.
0: If someone was listening to this and they're let's say doing more of um, looking to add like some hypertrophy days to their training, so they're doing maybe some main lifts, maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, adding some hypertrophy work in there. Uh, How would you add eccentrics to that, and would they be useful? Um,
1: How would I add eccentrics, and would they be useful? So, mostly for hypertrophy. Yeah, for hypertrophy. Yeah, um, it's most definitely useful. There's a there's a ton of science that actually indicates eccentric training um, is very beneficial for strength and hypertrophy. And there's actually several different techniques that you can actually use um, eccentric training techniques. And um, I actually talked about this a little bit more in detail in my peer review um, article for Strength and Conditioning Journal um, that actually came out last year. Um, and one of those techniques is called a 2-1 technique. And the, the, the best example that I can provide is if you're doing like a triceps press down like with a rope, for example, um, which is in all you know major gyms and facilities, if you actually go down and press with two arms and then you come up with one. Okay, So when you come back up to the starting position, you actually focus on a three to five second eccentric duration for that. So you come down with two, you come up with one.
0: And so you've actually, in essence, almost doubled the load roughly. I mean, throwing levers and all the other stuff out of the equation.
1: Right, true. Um, And then another one is uh, what's called like a two-movement technique. So you're actually combining a multi-joint exercise with a single-joint exercise, So some examples of that would actually be like a power clean and reverse curl. And so when you get into the two movement techniques, you know, you're not going to use like 90% load, right? I mean, you're not going to power clean 90% and and expect to reverse curl, you know, the same amount of weight. (laughs) Um, So you can use somewhere around, um, you know, um, anywhere from 80 up to 90%, depending on how strong you are and depending on what type of movement that you're actually doing. Um, so you can do, like I said, power clean, reverse curl. You can do close grip bench with tricep extensions, um, dumbbell bench with flies, um, a dumbbell squat into a single leg squat. So those are just some other uh, combinations of examples that you can actually use. Um, and when you're and when you're focusing on the eccentric duration in term, and in terms of set and rep scheme, you know anywhere from like three to five second eccentrics. Um, you know four to five sets. You know for say five reps, and that's one of the things about eccentrics that you need to keep in mind is because you're increasing overall time under tension um, with the muscle, you're not going to be able to do as much volume. You're not going to be able to do the same amount of rep scheme um, as if you would for normal types of exercises. Um, So it's always better to start a little bit more conservative. Um, So you have the 2-1 technique, you have two movements, and you also have super slow, which super slow is now you're really getting into longer eccentric durations. You're getting into... You know, 10 seconds and 12 seconds down uh, with the eccentric component. A lower percent range, like 60, maybe upwards of 85%, but definitely, you know, 60 to 70%, um, you know, usage. Um, and uh, I personally, um, um, this is probably the least effective one um, of, the, of the techniques to actually use. Um, but there is some pretty good evidence to indicate that if you're in a clinical setting, And you have individuals that are coming out of, you know, uh, post-ACL reconstruction that you can actually utilize a slower eccentric component of that um, to help increase, like, collagen strength and collagen synthesis, Hmm. um, you know, tendon strength and structure and those types of things. Um, So in terms of its transferability, the super-slow, the overall transferability to more um, explosive power and speed for sports performance – um, the, the transferability is actually pretty low. Um, um, and so so going back, you have the 2-1 technique, two movements, super slow. Then the last one is um, negative or what's called super max. So in this one, you're actually doing, say you're doing a bench press and you're doing uh, uh, over and above 100% 1RM. So you're doing 105% 1RM. You actually go all the way up to 125 or 130% 1RM. Um, so this is one that's pretty effective. Um, still utilizing, say, three or five seconds on the eccentric. Um, one of the downsides to the super max technique is you definitely need a couple of spotters um, on hand. Um, so, although effective, although this technique is effective, um, you know it, it, it has some issues with um, you know practicality. Um, especially if you're in a team setting and you need a couple of spotters, you know, and you're pressed for time. You may not have time to do the super max technique, you know, um, you know, fairly regularly. So, um, you know, you can do the two one, you can do two movements. I mean, all all of these techniques are effective, um, but it, it's all about context and how you're actually
0: using it. Yeah, and for the bench press, I know you can find like sometimes the old school weight releasers, right? Yep. So for people who haven't seen them, it's this little hook. That comes up to the bar, and it's got a weight on the bottom you put on there. So as you're lowering it, and obviously you want to do this in a cage and have somebody there, all that kind of safety stuff, which is definitely what you want to do, at the bottom of the movement then, the weight taps on the floor, and it kind of rocks back. So it allows you to have a higher amount of weight on the eccentric, and then go right into a more moderately weighted concentric movement too, which is kind of cool. I remember Christian Thibodeau talking about that in his, was it the Black Book of Secrets, like years ago? Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, he's got some interesting stuff. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a couple of the ones, like I think the ones you mentioned, I think are really good. And ones I've used personally over the years are just a simple chin up with a longer eccentric component. Mm -hmm. And then I've used uh, for like hamstrings, as much as it's kind of weird, um, the hamstring curls, right? So two legs up, one leg down. Absolutely. And I'm actually going back to start doing that again now because I've realized my left hamstring is way weaker than my right. Yeah, and you could actually um, kind
1: of do like maybe an advanced version of that. If you actually have bow slides, which those are... Yeah, I mean if you don't know, if people don't furniture know removers. what those are, yeah, they're just basically <laughs> like furniture sliders. Um you can actually do supine um eccentric um leg curls with that. Um so yeah, those so are hard. Yeah, they are hard. Um, you know, I mean if you're used to doing, you know, say eight, ten up to twelve reps with, you know, leg curls or glute hams, I mean you can try the valve slides and um even six reps is is, is, is fairly very challenging. Um so uh, there there's multiple ways to actually manipulate exercises and eccentric, um, components, um, of of training. Um, so I would certainly encourage everyone to try those. Um, and what you'll find is over time, let's just say if you do something simple like pull-ups and you focus on three to five second, um, eccentric. Okay. say if you do that, you know, a couple times a week, um, for, you know, two or three weeks, and then you go do back and do regular pull-ups, um, at a normal, um, you know, tempo, if you will, and you'll find very easily that um, the transferability is very, very high. Um, so, from doing eccentric activity to actually the normal um, cadence um, on duration, if you will, for, for the for the same exercise. Um, so, don't um, certainly don't neglect <clears throat> eccentric work.
0: So, for strength training, how would you set that up? I know we talked a little bit about it, but is there any difference in methods, or how would you someone really strength based?
1: Um, there's really, really no major differences with like strength-based versus like hypertrophy work. Um, they they usually have a very good crossover effect um, for, for for either one. Um, the only difference is um, depending on what technique that you use. So for strength, I mean, if you want to go more super maximal technique and say use 105, 110 percent of one RM, you know, for certain exercises, um, you know, and that's one of the things about take it take an exercise like a box squat. You know, for example, um, I like teaching box squat a lot to people that maybe have trouble um, squatting, um, you know, depending on what some of their initial assessments are, um, you know, because box squatting actually teaches you really how to sit back with your hips and have an effective hip extension, and hip extension torque. um, And it teaches you kind of what muscles to use to sit back. You can really kind of focus more on the eccentric phase, um, regardless of what, if it's just body weight or if it's, you know, a straight weight or maybe bands or, or even chains. And it, it kind of teaches you what muscles to use to actually come up off the box. Um, so a lot of times during various exercises, um, you need a, a certain um, like deceleration component with that as well. Um, and I've always talked about it in, in a lot of my classes and even at conferences. The, to me, the four most underutilized and undervalued training methods, uh, not in any particular order, but aerobic development, deceleration, eccentrics, and isometrics, okay? Um, those are probably the four most undervalued, underutilized training methods. Um, of course, that could be a whole different conversation. Oh, yeah. But, you know, eccentrics and deceleration are directly linked with one another. Most injuries happen um, in the deceleration phase, you know, and, and, and multiple change of direction. Um, and, and I would suspect that a lot of injuries that happen in that, um, you know, deceleration component when they lack... A lot of eccentric strength, um, so um, that's just kind of uh, a theory that I have based off the science, and then based off you know people that I've um, seen and worked with, and and and, and, exper- and you know, my experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. I know Kyle just sent me a study recently that had—I uh, don't remember if it was football players or what the group was—but they had them do some eccentric-based work and found that it uh, increased their ability to do change of direction. Yep. right cuz a huge if i'm if i'm doing let's say laterally i'm going left and all of a sudden i need to go right obviously i have to decelerate all the momentum and everything going left first have that come to literally a split second stop and then go back the other way right which gets into plyometrics and everything else too um, you had talked about injury reduction and that's one thing i've thought a lot about too i do a lot of kiteboarding and stuff like that so i'm trying to think of You know, some things I can do in the gym to possibly reduce the risk of my appendages getting violently (laughs) ripped in weird orientations if I screw up. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think that eccentrics could reduce the risk of injury? So in essence, it's giving your body greater strength to have the appendage not go so far back. So I think it's something like if I fell with my arm out, right if my arms never been to that sort of out extended position I'm probably going to have some issue now if I have a higher eccentric strength so I can take that range of motion and I can try to reduce or absorb as much of that force into my tissue without it breaking in theory I should be a little bit more injury resistant again depending upon the forces involved
1: yeah I agree I think um the the utilization of eccentric activity is certainly can um, from experience and from the science can help reduce um, injury risk um, and, and pretty much all sports. Because um, I don't, I'm not really sure if there's a sport out there that doesn't have some type of eccentric component to it. You know, um, maybe um, curling in the Olympics, <laughs> something like that. You know, maybe something like that doesn't have much of an eccentric activity. But, um, you know, one of the things I think is important is to discuss is. Um, the the successful um, aspect of eccentrics in the clinical setting. And a lot of people work with clinical uh, patients, right? Um, and, you know, particularly if they're ACL replacements or knee um, arthroplasties, tendinopathies, and even like osteopenia. And um, so eccentric is very, very effective. Um, and that's something, that's an area that, is not discussed as much compared to just say like the strength and conditioning world or just you know normal day-to-day training um and you know one of the things about um, eccentrics and clinical populations is um it, it's it's recommended for like i said elderly um in terms of increasing muscle strength and power while they decrease their risk of uh, falls and potential uh, fracture risk and so if you think about the aging population you know, you actually lose strength as you get older. You lose fast-switch muscle fibers first. Um, and one of the key aspects of the Eccentrics, and this is kind of goes back to force production, is you actually have the reversal of the size principle. And, and for those that may not know what size principle is, it's basically in normal training. Um, you start out with lighter loads. You recruit, you know, slower-twitch fibers first, um, lower-threshold motor units. And as the load gets heavier and heavier, you're required to... Um, elicit more fast twitch or higher threshold motor units to actually get um, produce more force so with eccentric activity you can actually have a reversal of that you can actually recruit fast twitch fibers first um, in the loading scheme um, to actually get that, that the higher load and so that's something um, an area um, I've, I've written some a couple of peer review articles on this um, that, that talk about the exact same thing so actually recruiting fast twitch fibers first which is one benefit um in terms of the, the, the aging population increasing strength and power, um lowering risk of injury, um, you know, for falls and fractures. And it's also been um suggested that um it's beneficial for stroke and COPD patients as well, in trying to preserve eccentric strength compared to um um age matched healthy controls. Um,
0: oh, that's awesome. Um Yeah. We had another podcast on here that people can check out with uh, Dr. Andy Gelpin. Right. And his whole lab does a lot of very cool research on individual muscle fibers, how they sort of transition over time. And I remember talking to him about some of that stuff too, that basically is, as, as you said, when you age, assuming you're not training, right, you get a loss of a mass of these fast-twitch fibers. And eccentrics may be a nice way to kind of – Target those specifically. Um, I've also, talk to our buddies, you know, Keith Norris, who has an ArcsFit machine that's uh, basically more of a controlled environment where you can control the rate of concentric and eccentric. So, that may be very cool for some uh, rehab and older populations. Absolutely. Um, related to that, if um, one or two more questions and we'll wrap up with a little summary here. If someone is incorporating more Eccentric exercise, let's say for a period of a couple of weeks or they're doing a triphasic model or something like that. What are the things should they be aware of in terms of you know, sleep, recovery, you know, fatigue, nutrition, anything else they should take into account?
1: Well, there, there there's some benefits and there's a, a few drawbacks to that. One of them I've already touched on is that, you know, when you do a lot of eccentric work, um, you know, definitely expect to have, um, you know, muscle damage with that. Now, that's not to say if you do some, you know, on your last exercise or your upper body workout, you do some eccentric curls and the last couple of reps for each set, you do some eccentric, say, three or five seconds down on the eccentric I mean, odds are you're not going to be, like, incredibly debilitating sore. You're not going to have problems getting up the next day. Um, So it depends on really how much volume that you're actually doing. So more volume with each set um, and, of course, reps with the eccentric, then you can expect to have more muscle damage. Um, And one of the um, other benefits of of eccentric activity compared to concentric activity is that – you have a lower energy demand with eccentric activity than you do concentric, okay? And I think that's important to, to, to state. So you have a lower energy demand. So really, it's actually an appealing strategy for people to use um, to elicit aspects of strength and hypertrophy. Um, and so you don't have to expend as much energy uh, metabolically or even at the muscle level um, to, to actually do the contraction, So it's an appealing strategy to actually implement into your training at the same time doing too much can elicit um, more muscle damage, um, even though some of it is actually required to um, elicit favorable changes um, in in strength and adaptation. So there there comes a point in time to where you you add it in, you see how sensitive you are with damage and your adaptation, and then you can maybe add a little bit more You know, as as time goes on, to kind of um, you know intersperse it, you know, through training. Um, So um, those are the those are some kind of good benefits and and some risks, if you will.
0: Oh, very cool. Um, One thing I've talked to Cal and I've talked a lot about this for I don't know quite a while. Do you think there's any immune sort of implications of a lot of eccentric training? Just in, in thought of you know. Let's say you're really kind of, you know, you've done it for a while and you're kind of, you know, pushing the envelope. So just thinking out loud, you've got more basically disruption to actin and myosin. You've got disruption to the other fibers and structure in there and the immune system has to kind of go in and sort of clean house and repair all the crap you've basically damaged. Um, Any thoughts on that?
1: That's a great question, and I've seen a few articles on um, immune response with eccentrics, but on the whole, there's really not a lot out there.
0: Yeah, I haven't um, been able to find much, so that's, that's yeah, what I'm I mean, asking you. I, mean,
1: <laughs> I, I don't even think there's, I mean, there's probably not even a half a dozen um, you know, studies on an eccentrics and immune response, and typically, when you talk about more um, immune response with training, now you're kind of getting into more like you know overreaching and overtraining sure. response, um, and, you know, volume and, and, and intensity-based types of things. So, um, I, I mean, if, if, if you're just, I mean, it's it's pretty safe to say from the science is that if you're just crushing it all the time in the gym or if you're competing, you know, regularly, you know, or and, you know, several times a year, then, you know, your immune response um, is pretty um, shot um, in, in terms of trying to, Um, maintain, you know, any respectable, normal function of of, of physiology. Um, In terms of how it affects eccentric activity, you know, I'm not really sure, to be honest, because there's there's really not much on it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I haven't been able to find much of anything on it either, because it's, like you mentioned, it's very interesting that when you're acutely doing the exercise of eccentrics, as you mentioned, it's actually more easy from a pure energetic standpoint, because you're Sort of harnessing more of the connective tissue and other things. But I've wondered about after the fact. So after you leave the the gym, how much of that is, you know, related to, you know, Lonnie's talked a little bit about there's a small bump in maybe metabolic rate because of the healing and Mm. the tissue response and that type of thing, too. Yeah. And there's um, there's
1: only, there's really only one literature on it. Yeah. Not on on the mean stuff. Yeah. And there's really, metabolically speaking, there's really only one study that's ever really talked about. Uh, like metabolism with eccentrics and they actually found that like doing a whole body workout that every exercise is like um, three to five seconds on the eccentric Uh, elevated resting energy expenditure 9% post-workout and and it lasted up to 72 hours. However, um, it's likely caused by the recovery and repair factors that's associated with DOMS um, and the energy costs related to protein synthesis, which is very expensive um, you know, metabolically. So, you know, don't think, well, I'm going to do a full body workout and, you know, I'm going to increase my resting energy expenditure, you know, for, for three days. Um, that doesn't necessarily, um, not a direct correlation, if you will.
0: Uh, um, so I, I can't go to the gym and crush myself on, uh, eccentrics on the dude bra bench press curl day and then eat four Cinnabons and be okay.
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, a one, maybe one or two One Cinnabons. <laughs> Cinnabons, you're okay.
0: Once you yeah. pass the two threshold Cinnabon limit, then it all it just all goes to hell at that point. So, <laughs> And last question you touched on a little bit um, related to injuries, right? So if anyone's been lifting any period of time, I think it's kind of these what I call a lot of niggly type injuries, especially elbows seem to take a beating, wrists, you know, smaller structures, sometimes the knee, patellar tendon. Um, so you can have like a tendinosis, which is actually a change to the collagen and the fibers itself for a tendonitis, which is more of an inflammation related, although most physicians just call everything tendonitis. Um, right. I've actually used eccentrics with, I've had a uh, tendinosis in both elbows in the past. And while I I don't recommend this experiment at all, I I had it in my knees too, in patellar tendon. So the tendon that goes over your kneecap in essence. And it worked pretty good on the elbows, so I went to the gym and just started doing super heavy uh, eccentric top portions of the squat, and basically because I did that much damage in a short period of time, and I did it unfortunately every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I basically gave myself basically tendon issues, and then I tried um, basically lighter load but longer time under the eccentric portion yeah and that actually seemed to help quite a bit so with my elbows i mean it got so bad when i had it for a while that i couldn't take a plate out of the top part of the cupboard and lower it it would just excruciatingly painful Um, so what i did was and i've had some clients do this and it's worked pretty well too is just do like a reverse plate curl so grab onto just a, a small plate and then when you use your other hand to basically raise it to the top, so you're just doing like a reverse curl with it. And then I have them change the orientation of their wrist to make it a little bit less painful. So if their wrist is now, their hand is looking almost more closer to 90 degrees, and then over time I just play around with the frequency, how long they do it, and then the angle of their wrist. So I want it to be, you know, maybe just a little bit painful, but I don't want it to be very excruciatingly painful. and Again, anecdotally just it, it seems to work quite well within a couple of weeks. Um so what are your, your thoughts on those crazy ideas?
1: Yeah, I mean I don't really think they're all that crazy. Um I'm well, more
0: I, sane than I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's debatable.
1: Uh, <laughs> right. Uh I've had some elbow um kind of like um you know, tricep the left lateral head of my tricep yeah, inflammation over the years. Um and it's kind of escalated over the last like year or so. Um, and just from all like the tricep work and the overhead pressing. So what I did, um, you know, and one of my good buddies, you know, Matt winning, yeah. um, uh, you know, help, um, kind of, you know, told me about this stuff. And so the last like, s- you know, six, seven months, um, I've actually on my upper body days is after I do my, you know, foam rolling for a few minutes and T spine and hip mobility work, um, I'll do a combination of, uh, you know, um, like three, four sets of like 20 to 25 reps. Um, for like tricep exercises, whether it's like just press downs or like with a band or maybe with some dumbbells and I'll rotate out different exercises before I actually get to the main movement. And if I'm doing some type of dynamic effort work um, or, you know, heavier overhead press or even like floor press, I'll actually do those and kind of increase work capacity, um, you know, and blood flow blood flow, and just kind of, you know, get the joint moving um and therefore when i get to the heavier like work sets like it's fine and i haven't had any problems nice you know the last like 6 months or so and so um i've been doing that like for um um upper and even some things for 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 lower body days Um, and it, and it's and it's helped quite a bit um so um you know it and, it and it's just it's a process you know i mean the the day that you think that you know everything is oh, the, yeah the day that you're not going to learn anything <laughs> so <laughs> oh
0: Yeah, and I've realized that too with, you know, people that I look at who do a lot of, you know, CrossFit or maybe more Olympic lifting or more very strength powerlifting, even sometimes strongman type stuff, is that if I see that they start having elbow issues or knee is starting to pain them, um, the first thing I do is I just add in some super easy hypertrophy sessions. So if they're doing like, you know, big three lifts, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll add in, you know, a Tuesday, Thursday you know, super easy dude bra hypertrophy, you know, Tuesday, maybe upper body Thursday, maybe lower, you just go to the gym and, you know, gasp, get a pump, you know, do 12 to 15, even 20 reps. I like doing very high reps on tricep stuff seems to help. Um, you know, none of it's that fatiguing. I don't find it really beats people up. Mm -hmm. You usually put a time limit on it. You know, you only get in for initially 45 minutes, maybe an hour at the most and usually most people are like wow i f- i feel a lot better um you know get some hypertrophy from it too and the the biggest thing i realized is that it just seems to really help the joints overall and if you you think about what's going on right if you want tissue in the body to become very stiff in essence you would just cast it right so if i break my forearm i put a cast on it so the bone actually forms and it's very stiff again and what happens is if you've ever had a appendage casted i've had my both arms in slings i've had a cast on my right ankle Well, all that soft tissue gets just like a solid as a rock too right because you haven't moved it so i think heavy rule you know one rm stuff which is awesome i think tends to promote tissue to become a little bit more rigid Mm -hmm. or if you look at the the bodybuilding kind of faster you know movements maybe you get more eccentric total work in there possibly too you know, that tends to promote the tissue to become a little bit more elastic because you're moving it faster through a range of motion. So Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, in summary, if people want to uh incorporate more eccentric type exercise into their plan, what would be kind of your top 3 action items for them to to do that after listening to all the awesome okay. information here?
1: Uh just, you know, pick pick two to three exercises, say, you know, two for upper body, two for lower body. And I mean, it could be the same exercise you've been doing for, you know, however long or recently and focus on the eccentric, you know, three to five seconds, you know, going down um, and just see how you feel, you know, with that and, and see how you respond to aspects of muscle damage um, and then turn around, do that for, say, two or three weeks and then turn around, and do the actual same exercise at a normal movement tempo um, and see what the transfer ability is. And I think you'll be surprised. It's, 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 um, it's, it's pretty high. Um, And another one is, you know, it's always better to start conservative when you use some of these eccentric training techniques, you know, whether it's 2-1 or 2 movements or super slow or super max. You know, just pick one or two uh, techniques and, you know, pick a few exercises and just see how, you know, just see how it goes. And there's no specific guidelines, actually. You have to do this, you have to do that. Um, But for for more info, I would actually suggest checking out Um, My peer-review article from Strength and Conditioning Journal from the NSCA actually came out in February 2015, um, so just a little over a year ago, and and when I talk about more guidelines um, and and prescription um, and and other aspects too.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Dr. John Mike, for all the amazing info on Eccentrics. I think that's super cool, and it's one of those things that's becoming more popular now, but I don't know if a lot of people really understand what the hell they're doing with it <laughs> mm-hmm. right so it's good to have good info and where can people find out more about you
1: uh you can hit me up on facebook just jonathan mike uh you can hit me up on twitter i'm at uh, j mike 125 and then my instagram is uh dr j mike and um so uh, if you have questions or uh, comments you'd we'll have to discuss things further um feel free to uh, you know send me a message and uh I'll be happy to chat
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I greatly appreciate you taking time to be on the ETP podcast today. That's awesome. Thanks.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.